Hello, today I have the lovely Kia with me. Hi Kia, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi Donna, thank you for having me. So I am an author of Courtroom Dramas with HarperCollins. Uh, my first Take It Back came out in 2019, followed by Truth Be Told and Next of Kin. My third one comes out in paperback this Thursday. Uh, it has been longlisted for the CWA Gold Dagger for Crime Novel of the Year and it was Times Book of the Month, so it's a really exciting time for me. Wow. <laughs> Um, did you always know that you wanted to write? Do you know what? I I think I always knew that I would do something to do with storytelling. Um, my mum loves to tell this story of how when I was four years old, I basically refused to eat unless she told me a story. So in Sileti, my mother tongue, the phrase is kichaho, and that kind of became a bit of a mantra for me. You know, every, every mealtime it was kichaho. And so storytelling has always been important to me. And when I was about seven, I think I, that's when I really knew that I wanted to be an author. And later on, I was such a nerd. I, I wrote this, um, I kind of hand drew something called Household News. So it was like an easy, but I, I did like seven or eight copies. I've got seven siblings, so I think it must've been seven copies. And I distributed it to all my siblings. And the leader um, opinion piece was about gender inequality in the household. So basically it was having a moan about why my sisters and I had to help with the cooking and the cleaning. And my brothers got away with going out to play. And later that day, my brother ripped up every single copy of Household News and chucked it outside my bedroom door. And I think that was the first time I realized the power of words to shift somebody's thinking or to anger somebody or to change the status quo so even at a young age I was like wow it actually being able to write and put whether it's injustices or just gripes into words is really effective and so I think that planted an early seed of wanting to be a writer and then what gave you the push to finally sit down and do it and say that's it I'm going for it I think, you know, I was always writing my own stories and bless him, my primary school teacher, Colin Giles, sadly I've lost in touch with him, but he was the first one who, he would take my stories and he would bind them for me so they would look like actual books. And when I was 10 or 11, when you leave primary school for secondary school, he gave me a notebook and pen and said, when you're on the bus or train and you hear snippets of conversation on, on public transport, write them down in your notebook to use in your stories. And so that early vote of confidence was amazing for me. And so all throughout secondary school, I was writing my own books. Um, I say books, you know, short stories, more like I like to think, think of them as books. But Donna, when it came to choosing my degree, I basically bottled it. I chose computer science because I basically followed the money. Um, and I worked in tech for three years and it was only after I was able to build up my own financial buffer that I was able to take the leap into becoming a writer. And I, I took a 50% pay cut, actually. And, you know, it took me a good few years after that to get a book deal with HarperCollins. But I, I look back and I'm just so glad that I made that leap because because it worked out. Yeah, it certainly did. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what made you choose the genre that you write in as well? <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting question. And I do get asked that because I'm not a lawyer. I don't have a background in law. Um, I have a background in tech. 
But the way I saw Take It Back, which was my first novel, um, the premise of that was four Muslim boys are accused of assaulting a, a young white girl. And the idea came to me because I was seeing the ways in which young Muslims were being treated in the media. And so anytime they were to commit a crime, it was that part of their identity that was always pulled out in the headlines. I mean, when, when was the last time you, you read Christian man commits this crime, but you often see Muslim man guilty of so-and-so. And so that's when the germ of the idea came to me. And I thought a courtroom setting was just so perfect because in Britain, the justice system is inherently adversarial. And so, you know, that's already prime for high drama and conflict, you know, the really key ingredients of good, good fiction. And so I was drawn to the courtroom um, spent a week at the Old Bailey. I kind of saw Take It Back in the same vein as Anatomy of a Scandal or Apple Tree Yard, neither of which were written by lawyers, but centered on a court case. And so I saw Take It Back in, in, in that vein of work, but because it did well, then my publishers wanted more. They were like, oh no, you know, truth be told has to have a court case in it. And so that was an interesting decision for me to make, you know, am I qualified to write this? And I always say, look, you know, I, I try my best. I have got a whole raft of experts, but as with anything, you know, you, you will show your hand. You know, I wrote an article for the author magazine about this and, I remember watching a, um, an episode of Faking It. I don't know if you remember, it was a 90s show. And what they used to do is get an amateur to train really intensely and then pretend to be an expert. And I remember this one episode where there was a backing dancer for Jamelia, the pop star, and the judge spotted the faker straight away. They said a real dancer would never move her arm that way. And that's the analogy I use, you know, as much as I will try, I have to also accept that I will show my arm, you know, I will move my arm awkwardly and show my cards. But listen, Donna, what I can do is write a good story. You know, I was at Inner London um, Crown Court one day and I was in the back row and, and, and a mother, and I think it was her son in, in the dock, and she turned around and looked at me and the look in her eyes is what I can describe. So I might not always get the legalese and the procedure right, but I can describe the look in her eye and that's what gives me confidence to keep going. It's, um, I've done a forensic science degree and we were taken to court twice. I think we went to magistrates and Crown Court and I loved it. It's fascinating just sitting there being a, you know, just an observer and, and watching them all play their part and stuff. I, yeah, so I can totally understand the the, the fascination and stuff with that. And in a London Crown Court, it's really interesting because the Old Bailey is the one that, you know, the public goes to and, and tourists go to. And in a London Crown Court, which is where my second book, Truth Be Told, was set, is it, initially, you know, you walk in and it's beautiful, but the back courtrooms are just, you know, old, they're decrepit, they're falling apart, and you get a real sense of the justice system. And so I love that whole side. I love going and, and you know, rolling up my sleeves and getting to grips with the law and the technical aspects of the storytelling. What's the most interesting thing you found out doing research for your book so far? Oh, that's a good question. Okay, so without getting myself into trouble, um, one thing I found out was you absolutely cannot take any pictures whatsoever inside a courtroom. And I remember going to see um, one of the QCs who consult my, on my novels and I said, 
oh, you know, oh, um, inner London Crown Court's really beautiful, da, da, da. And in conversation, he said, wait a minute, do you have photos of inner London Crown Court on your phone? And I might have said yes or no, but theoretically, had I said yes, he basically said, you know, you could you could get arrested, you know, you could get, and so I was like, well, no, of course, of course I hadn't. So I, that was really interesting, the fact that sometimes in my overzealousness, I don't always know when to stop, but I'll leave it there in case I get in trouble. <laughs> but they are, in a weird way, they are beautiful because they've got all the crowns and all the insignia and stuff on the walls and stuff. So they can be, like, I'd love to take pictures, but yeah. No, <laughs> no, no, yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favorite character that you've written so far, and which character is giving you the most trouble? Oh, okay. So it, it, it's so funny because take it back because it was my first one, it got so much attention, and it was the one that people always say, you know, I really love Take It Back. Um, truth be told got kind of lost in all the pandemic stuff and so to be told came out March 2020 just as we were going into lockdowns and so next of kin my third one has has got tons of attention as well and I feel like truth be told has kind of got you know like the the child in the middle syndrome and I really love that book and I love the characters in it I love Cameron and I love Finn um and and writing them I suppose was challenging because they're both young men um I'm you know I'm clearly not a man I've never been a young man and so getting them correct getting their not just their mentality but the lingo all of that was challenging but uh, those two characters I really love and I have so much affection for them and you know I'm quite sad that Truth Be Told kind of gets lost in comparison to Take It Back and, and Next of Kin and so yeah Cameron and Finn are probably two of my favourite characters. Who would you take out for a meal if you could? I think Zara probably just because she's she's just a kick-ass woman and you know I can see myself getting on with her in real life you know as with a lot of protagonists there are parts of her which are drawn from my own life but she's a far kind of smarter more kick-ass version of me and so yeah I'd love to take her out to dinner and uh yeah just get to know her <laughs> do you hide any secret jokes messages or easter eggs in your books Ooh. I'm sure people who know me would probably recognize kind of linguistic quirks that I use or in, in jokes, for example, that we have. But in terms of kind of for the wider readership, none that I can think of off the top of my head. There's probably stuff that happens naturally, but no, I don't think so, sadly. <laughs> but maybe for the next one, you've given me an idea. <laughs> I love I love though when they are in books and stuff and I love like how some of the crime writing community seem to include each other as characters in each other's books which is quite funny oh I love that yeah, yeah. maybe I'll have an Inspector Rebus turn up but then I'll probably get sued I'm sure he's trademarked yeah probably it wouldn't surprise <laughs> me <laughs> um what's been one of your most fun scenes to write Oh, I loved writing the scenes between Zara and Safran in the first novel in Take It Back, just because so often in fiction you have romantic relationships between men and women, um, but you don't often see platonic relationships without them turning sexual. And I'll be honest, actually, in one of the iterations of Take It Back, I did have 
them get together, you know, at some point towards the end of the novel, um, you know, and, and people who know Take It Back Well will probably recognize the scene, you know, they're, they're in a restaurant and the band starts playing Smells Like Teen Spirit, but, but a swing version of it. And initially I had her say to him, I think, you know, do you want to dance? And he says to her, we've been dancing for years now, actually I'd like us to stop. And then he, he says to her that, you know, it's you and me, of course it's going to be you and me. And then I had a discussion with my agent and I thought, you know what, you, you don't often see platonic relationships that just stay platonic. And I thought they get on so well, they have a really strong relationship untainted by the fact that they have sexual feelings between them. And so I decided to let's just leave them as friends. And so I really love the friendship and the banter between them. So I always enjoy writing them. And, you know, he, he does make a reappearance in Truth Be Told as well, because that's a loose follow up to take it back. It's a different court case, but we, we return to Zara. And so that relationship has always been fun. And what's been one of your most difficult to write? I would say probably some of the scenes in Next of Kin. So Next of Kin, um, in it, there's a young, I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but there are scenes where, you know, I talk about parental bereavement and that's obviously a, a very dark subject. Um, and I had to be very careful and do it very delicately. And so I spoke to um, a mother who had lost a child and had to, and who had a terminal illness. And so capturing the nuances of that, um, making sure that they were affecting enough so that the reader would understand her grief, but without being gratuitous, was a challenge. And so that was a fine balancing act. And, and I like to think that I pulled it off. You know, the feedback so far has been immensely positive. So, so yeah, but that was a challenge for sure. I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> Um, and is there any no-go areas for you? Is there anything you absolutely would never write? Um, I don't think there are any no-go areas, but I do think in this climate, we have to be a little bit careful about what we choose to write about. Um, and, you know, there's all this debate about cultural appropriation. And as a novelist, you know, I do firmly believe that you should be able to tell any story as long as you do it in an authentic and well-researched way. That said, I also think that sometimes you can tread on other people's toes. And a personal rule I use is if you're going to adopt the voice of a minority, but you can't name five books by minority of those my minority writers, then maybe it's not your place to write them. And so, for example, when it came to Truth Be Told, I was interested in having one of the main protagonists as a trans character, because that's such an interesting subject, you know, at the moment, there's so much debate going on about it. And I contacted lots of trans organisations to get their view on it. And, you know, they said, well, you know, if you're not trans and you don't know any trans people, you've never had any trans friends, perhaps consider whether this is your story to tell. And so if I apply my rule, which is, can I name five novels by trans writers? I failed that rule, I couldn't. And, and I use that rule because what that means is that if you can name five authors, it means that there is enough marketing, there is enough investment, that there is enough, um, you know, they're getting the book deals, they're getting the investment. But if you can't even name five, that means that, that that community isn't getting the investment from the publishing industry. And so if I go and get those marketing dollars, it, that there's not much left for for people who actually deserve it. And so that's 
that's the rule I use, you know, it's, it's imperfect. Um, but coming back to, for example, American Dirt, which was such a massive um, controversy, you know, if we can't name five Mexican authors writing a Mexican story, maybe it's not my space my place to write the Mexican story do you know what I mean and so you know yeah. it's a clumsy rule but it's one that I try to follow and I think it helps yeah I mean hopefully that will change soon you know and hopefully there will be five that we can name but yeah, yeah. I, I mean I don't even know one so you know and yeah. five is the bare minimum you know so so that's the thing if you can't name five writers that just means that they they are the ones who should be getting the investment not you when you first started writing, what was the one thing that you looked forward to happening or to doing? And has it happened yet? Yeah, I mean, it was holding my hardback in my hands for the first time. Um, and that was an incredible moment. I remember I was at a Waterstones about to give a talk and um, the publishing director at uh, HQ, which is my imprint at HarperCollins, handed me the hardback and she thought I'd seen it before um but I hadn't and so I almost got quite emotional before I got up on stage you know but I kept it together the show must go on but that was amazing and you know people often say what's your proudest moment and I think I've got five sisters and so I've I've written three books I'm, I'm in the process of writing another two and so I think being able to dedicate a whole book each to each of my sisters is is a pretty proud achievement Oh, so you have a, a close relationship with your sisters then? Yeah, yeah. We're all in the group chat. We're all super close and, and stay in touch all the time, yeah. Oh. Um, have you made lots of author friends since you started writing? Yeah, I mean, look, the crime writing community is particularly lovely. You know, we all have dark minds and we go to dark places, but when you meet them in person, you know, I'm sure you've, you've spoken to a few of them. Um, they're just lovely they're super welcoming um, when you go to literary events and crime festivals you know you, you often end up having drinks or lunch or dinner with them and so yeah it's a really really lovely fraternity or sorority whichever way you want to look at it <laughs> yeah I think there's a unique word for the crime writing community but I don't know what it would be but there are different <laughs> bunch, that's for sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> And do you get much feedback from your readers? And what's the weirdest or funniest feedback you've ever had? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I do get a lot of feedback. So, you know, on Twitter, on Instagram, um, obviously on Amazon, you know, when you start out, you can't help but look at the one star reviews, but I'm over that now. I just don't do it. It ruins your whole day. Um, oh gosh, the weirdest. I don't know what the weirdest is, but the one that does stick in my mind, because it's a line that I really grappled with and I really thought about carefully in the first novel. Um, and it was one of the young boys who makes a comment about the Jewish community. And I did really think hard about that because I thought, well, I don't want to be perpetuating anti-Semitic tropes in my novel, but I've met young men like that. I've, I've heard young men say things like that. And so I thought, well, the truest thing to that character would be to say what he said. And so I did have somebody write to me and say, you know, to call me out on that line. And I, I had a dialogue with them and said, look, you know, this was not my intention to, to hurt anybody. It was what I think was truest to a character. But, you know, it's interesting, you know, what you said about are there any no-go areas? I don't think I would ever spell out the N-word in one of my novels. Um, and, and it's interesting because people take different views. You know, Joe DePico in Small Great Things 
he uses it quite a lot and I remember reading it thinking wow this you know this is a lot um and so I think I, I I'd shy away from that um it's tricky isn't it because again if you're writing a character who would say that word then surely as an author the truest thing you can do is, is to spell out that word and so it is a bit of a of a minefield you know so I think as long as you're using those words carefully and you and you consider them then then you can back yourself up you know so I think as, as long as you can stand by your decision then then that's okay yeah um will you be going to any of the literature festivals this year Yes, so I'm at Crime Fest this coming weekend. So I'm doing two panels on uh, at there, so Friday and Saturday. I'm also going to Lime Regis for Lime Crime, um, Blue Dot Festival, uh, Butte Festival. So, so the, there are a few lined up. If people go to my website, kiaabdullah.com forward slash events, you'll see all the events that I have coming up. When you're editing your books, what's your most overused word or phrase? Oh, oh, you're exposing me now, Donna. Okay, so I always have, I bloody always have people shaking their heads or nodding their heads, you know. So <laughs> I remember the first time I, I think I, th there are engines that you can run your manuscript through. And I think there was something like 98 of them. Um, so I had to cut them down. And I, and I still do it because it's such an easy way to break up dialogue. But it's essentially an empty gesture. And so I do try to cut down all these empty gestures as much as possible. So that's definitely a writing tick that I have to be aware of. You're not the only one, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I think it was Neil Broadfoot I spoke to the other day and he said that his characters must have some weird physical problem to be nodding <laughs> and shaking their heads as much as he do. So yeah, oh, you're not okay. alone, don't worry. No. <laughs> If you're able to spend a day with any author, dead or alive, who would you like to spend a day with? Oh, God, that's so, um, I'd like to, I mean, my, the author I admire the most is Donna Tartt, um, but she's not super out in the world. You know, she feels, it feels like I, I just wouldn't, I think I just find it very daunting hanging out with Donna Tartt. Um, so maybe oh, if I, if I choose, if I can choose someone dead, I'd probably choose, Ella Montgomery, who wrote Anne of Green Gables, just because that book has meant a lot to me. You know, I grew up in quite a conservative family in East London and reading Anne of Green Gables showed me that, you know, you don't have to follow cultural norms. You know, you don't have to do what's expected of you. You can be a little tear away sometimes. Um, and so I think reading Anne of Green Gables in my formative years really changed and formed who I was. And so, yeah, Lucy Maud Montgomery, I would choose. And if you're able to travel to any period of time, either forwards or backwards, where would you go? Oh, <laughs> maybe to the 20s, you know, just because it was such a roaring time. And, um, oh, like New Orleans, America, like when the blues and jazz were just coming out. I don't know. There are so many, so many options. Um, or I'd flash forward to the future, but that can be dangerous because you know with climate change you, you don't know what's going to be happening so yeah I think the 20s awesome also a popular choice but I can see why and for yeah. the clothes to totally for the clothes all <laughs> <laughs> the flapper dresses and stuff is cool. yeah <laughs> uh, what do you like to do when you're not writing I love traveling a lot so that's my kind of second biggest passion 
Um, when I'm not writing fiction, I do run a travel blog with my other half called atlasandboots.com. So I've traveled to about 60 countries and, and all seven continents. I was in Antarctica in January. Um, we're planning to do a rail trip through Europe at the end of May, and then maybe going to Svalbard um, in the Arctic Circle in July. And so, yeah, I just love to travel. Um, other than that, you know, typically I'm a bookworm. When I'm not traveling, I'm at home in my onesie, curled up with a good book and a cup of tea. <laughs> uh, is there any country that you haven't been to yet that you're dying to go to, apart from the ones you mentioned, obviously? <laughs> You know, the big obvious one is Canada. You know, everybody, nearly everybody I know has been to Canada, but I've never been. And I love the outdoors. Um, so obviously it's got massive landscapes, great mountains and just be beauty. So I really want to go to Canada. And the other big one is Japan. Everybody who I know who's been to Japan absolutely loves it. And so once it opens up, you know, after the pandemic, I think that's going to be high on my agenda. It's funny, um, I've got a cousin that lives in Canada and then my auntie lives in Japan. So I've got the potential <laughs> to go to both. <laughs> no, I haven't. It's too expensive. It's crazy expensive. Mm -hmm. So yeah, but my cousin's um, just had a baby. So I think they're getting married um, and they're going to get married in Canada. So if they do, then I'll, I'll try and go if I can afford Oh, to. brilliant. Okay. Gives yeah. you a good excuse. Yeah. Yeah, but apparently there's wolves and bears, so that's like, mm, okay, as long as they stay outside, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, who was your first celebrity crush? Oh, that's easy. Uh, Jordan Knight from New Kids on the Block. Um, completely in love with him. Still am, you know, don't tell my husband. But yeah, if Jordan Knight were to knock on my door, I'd be like, see ya, honey. Um, no, that's a joke. That's a joke. Um, but I did see him in concert as an adult. And what was really nice, or really sad, uh, whichever way you look at it, is you know the, the women and the fans that I was there with you know we, we just acted like 11 year olds seeing Jordan Knight for the first time we were just completely into it screaming and yeah it was it was a joy so yeah Jordan Knight and you know I, I love Keanu Reeves um I think he's just got better with age you know like a fine wine mm -hmm. <laughs> yep <laughs> it's funny you say that about Jordan Knight I um I went to see Jason Donovan at a festival local to right. me and the front row was all women and we were all singing and it was exactly the same like all screaming and stuff like we were teenagers it was quite <laughs> funny but it was really lovely as well and I remembered yeah. all the worst of his songs like how do I even where have these been hiding all the time Somewhere in the back of your head yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um where's the strangest or funniest place you've ever woken up <laughs> okay um the strangest I mean the most remote is probably in the Danakil Depression in Ethiopia. So it's it's one of the driest, hottest places on earth. And we went there a few years ago um, to see Erta Ale, which is one of the most active volcanoes in the world. But there's not much infrastructure there. And so you're just sleeping out in the open. Um, and that was quite an experience. Um, various creatures hanging around at night. Uh, and the other one was the Australian Outback. Um, we camped there for two nights again a few years ago. And I just remember you had these swag bags, which are basically sleeping bags, but really heavy sleeping bags. And you're not in a tent. Um, and that night we saw a snake, a dingo. Um, we got swarmed by ants like everywhere. And I just remember going to sleep and Peter saying to me, don't move. 
and I'm I'm scared of creepy crawlies, so I just went, and then he he took it off. He said it was this massive centipede. I put my um, eye mask on, my earplugs in, had my swag back up here, and but you know when we woke up, it was amazing because you could actually see the Milky Way with your naked eye. Um, and our tour leader had put on the theme music of Lord of the Rings, and it was just this surreal, magical moment. And so you, I completely forgot the horror of the night before, and it was completely worth it. Wow, that sounds incredible. <laughs> well, you know, horrendous and then incredible. Also traumatising. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, creep crawlies. Although I have held a centipede and I was surprised by how heavy it was and how hard it was. I wasn't expecting it to be quite Ugh. so. Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what's coming next for you, apart from your new release on Thursday? So after Next of Kin, I'm working on the next book, which is called Those People Next Door. And that's out in January 2023. So I'm currently working with my editor to fine tune that um, and then travels with Atlas and Boots. You know, I'm looking forward to getting back on the road after the last two years that we've had. And so, yeah, just lots of traveling and writing. Fabulous. Um, well, you may be relieved to know I don't have any more questions for you, unless you think there's anything I haven't asked you that you want to tell us. No, it was great fun. I love talking books, you know, and I love talking authors. And so this has been really fun. Good. Um, so if people want to buy your books or they want to find out more about you, where can they do so? So I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Kia Abdullah. My website's kiaabdullah.com. Um but if they want a signed copy, they can get one from Newham Bookshop. Um, so they can email info at newhambookshop.co.uk. Um, and I, I'm just around the corner from them, so I can pop in and sign a book. You know, I always say it's great to support your independent bookshops. And so, yeah, if you want a signed copy, do contact Newham Bookshop. Fabulous. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Donna. This was great fun. <laughs>